I'm on the ride of a lifetime. I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore, and I won't be coming back here anymore. I'm on a wave. I'm on a mountain. I'm on a roller coaster sailing across the sky. And the only trouble is in wondering why. Something just went wrong. We're having a major crisis. Hang on, hang on. Yeah, she shut the lights off on us. Anyway, live from Salt Lake City, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and truth. I'm your host, Sean McCraney, but standing behind me, we have just a very small segment of our, our live studio audience. Actually, it represents 90%. the whole part, 95%. We have Tim, the son, Seth in the middle, and Denise on the end, all the way from Southern California, but once here, living here, and used to come with us. Uh, I'm just going to hand this back. Uh, what's been happening, Tim? Oh, gosh. Well, we've been in Gawa about four years now, and uh, Seth has grown about two feet, I think, in that time. Two feet. And he's been the main attraction in our life right now as far as uh, focus. So he's been uh, playing music learning how to play the French horn, doing really well with it, was in a competitive marching band, that's cool. I've just been working, and uh, Denise has been volunteering at a, uh, oh, what would you call it? A therapeutic, um, therapeutic horse, horse back riding yeah. center for um, kids with kids autism with, and such. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Big, need a big horse, though. Uh, there is one exciting thing. Uh, standing behind me, Seth was nominated as the homecoming king at the school, were you not? And one at Whittier Christian, and he did win. Yeah. And Denise, you're working with autistic kids who find therapy through horse riding. Yes, yes. Um, it's uh, special need kids, so um, variety of different, um, you know, uh, disabilities or issues to overcome. And the uh, horseback riding uh, helps with the physical uh, disabilities as well as. Uh, you know, um, following directions, different, yeah, <laughs> different types of things that kids need to overcome. And awesome. Yeah, so it's been really great. We need to let them get back to the audience so that I have someone to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> Will someone please clap for them? <laughs> Love you guys. Good to see you again. Oh, by the way, how was the, the queen? The homecoming queen? Were you glad she won, or did, did, would you have preferred another? She, she's a good gal. All right, we want, we want that. All right, uh, why don't we begin, as we always do, to, with a prayer. Lord, we just pray that your uh, spirit will continue to be with us. We love you and seek you. Grateful for all that we have and all that we are because of you. And uh, help us to uh, never lose track, never lose sight of you in our lives. And we pray for this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's the last show of the year, and I want to publicly thank... All who have been involved in production, distribution, promotion, support of the show. We thank God, of course, for his spirit, his son, and the word that we fortunately have the opportunity to study and uh, have access to those things in our lives. I want to thank those who tune in. That's you guys. And who show up. That's you guys in the audience. And uh, who watch week in and week out. We have, usually have Larry, the, the pastry man. He's here. We have Dave, the thinker. We have Alex, the musician. We have Reed, the aphorist. We have Gaylene, the uh, partier. Uh, we have different people who come all the time. It's really snowy and wintry out there, so it may be we're missing some of those. I also want to thank those of you who financially support us. Without you, we couldn't do the programming, run the ministry, give the books to people who can't afford them. I want to thank those behind the scenes who they got to put up with me every week, and um, they've put up with a lot of different things that have been thrown at us as a ministry, but. They are really the unsung heroes. You never see them. You're, they're not in the spotlight. 
uh, but they keep this machine well oiled and running. Derek and Danita, their entire family, uh, they handle everything uh, behind the scenes relative to the books, the finances, taxes, sending books out, all that stuff. And uh, so we're very grateful for them. They've been a godsend to the ministry. Kathy Maggie, tireless dedication. She cleans the building every week. She serves. She teaches the kids. She operates the TriCaster. She sneers at me and mocks me uh, whenever she possibly can. A great blessing to us. We have Linda Cassidy and her willingness to constantly show up and help and assist and do all she can to help up. Uh, she's, been a, she's seen a lot in the faith. She's probably our matron of the Christian faith. She's been to a lot of different things. She's seen a lot. For, so for her to still be here is really remarkable, uh, and yet she hasn't ran. Seth Motor, our internet tech website, IT, and his expertise, he keeps us operational and current. And thank you, Seth, sincerely. Wendy Jensen, she takes our recorded information, transforms it into podcast shreds, edits innumerable shows, so greatly appreciated. Answers the phones, her Linda Cassidy, uh, Danita in the back. Danny, he takes calls, he writes up summaries, he builds stages like what I'm sitting on. Master of all trades, thank you, brother. And then we have partners in ministry who do things with us in their own ministry. We have, of course, Bishop Earl. We have uh, Warren and Suzanne Puckett. We have he Heidi Wangsgard now. Great to work with them all. And then we have my family uh, who, who are always behind the scenes. And you very rarely see them. We have Mallory, and she contributes the music. And uh, we have Cassidy for her editing and online presence and uh, putting our spots together. We have uh, Delaney, who works on our weekly uh, campus. She uh, directs. Uh, heart of the Matter on Campus, and then we have Mary who provides us with the graphics for each show, and then she supports uh, and me in uncountable ways, so love and thank uh, my family for the sacrifices, and then also want to thank those of you out there who have held your tongue about the ministry over the years, who have given us the benefit of the doubt and have chosen to believe the best in us rather than the worst, and uh, while I believe there is probably not any evangelical Christian out there who agrees with every view that we talk about on the show or in the ministry. Um, there are people who have been placed in public um, positions, and they have not joined the crowd to assassinate us when we disagree or when I mention that this could be possible or whatever. And so I specifically thank Matt Slick of CARM and uh, Adams Road. We don't agree necessarily on, on things, but we agree on the concept that uh, salvation comes by Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. And uh, they have a platform, both of those uh, groups, Matt and his team, and then Adams Road, to stand out against us. And they haven't done that. And I'm really grateful for that. And finally, we thank all of you, our viewers throughout the world. And they are throughout the world. Your emails, your insights, your personal growth in the faith, they fuel the fire for us. We get them, we read them, and they keep us uh, going. And so we wanted to give, a, give you our best. In the end, we kind of see ourselves all as a team. No matter what part of the body we're in, we are all a team. No part more important than another. And all through Jesus Christ, giving God the glory. So our deepest thanks uh, for everybody who has been mentioned and those who haven't. If I've missed you, I'm sorry. All right, we received an email uh, that really summarizes our hope with people who are viewing. It's from Curtis, and he says, Shauna, I left Mormonism fifth generation in 2010, and you were there. I've seen every Heart of the Matter show. Thank you, brother. I'm a preterist now, and it makes the most sense. I don't live in fear of these past future events. Thank you, because you exposed me to that. I am leaning towards modalism. That's a way of understanding God and his nature. I understand God as one with many dimensions, meaning God who expresses himself as a son, who expresses himself as uh, a Holy Spirit. That's one view among many that Christians do take. Not everybody takes the same view. And he says there's only two commands, believe and love. Amen to that. I'm also pondering the concept of having a non-anxious presence and want to be in a life that's more non-anxious, he says. And uh, he goes, I've heard this on a, by a radio preacher. He says, on the essentials, unity. On the differentials, liberty. In all things, charity. You may have also mentioned this. In other words, thanks for all you do, and um, go carry on. So that's uh, from Curtis. And I rejoice in emails like this from people who say, this has happened in my life and in my walk. I've become better. Not I've become more burdened, I've become more broken down, I've become more worrisome, I've become less effective, I've consumed with my failures, none of that stuff. 
more faith-based, more love-based, and uh, really important to read those emails. So thank you again, Curtis. We received a phone call last week from a man calling himself Keith. It was a very valuable call to our ministry and its purposes. It gave me an opportunity to have some good discussions throughout the week with different people. Let me hit the highlights. Now, Keith entered the conversation under false pretenses. He came in with a story that at first I embraced, and that's okay, because he was trying to make a point. He was trying to set the stage through his call. And so I was under the impression that it was true at first, and then ultimately the light came on. Ding, ding, ding. He's, he's not being truthful. But uh, he said something about being part of the LGBTPI. I didn't know what that meant. And I only recognized some of the acronym. And then he said something about struggling with things until he said, I came upon your show and how you talk about um, we take the, we don't take the teachings to heart that, or of the law and of what men demand and that we use the spirit and the Holy Scripture. And he says, uh, he then intimated that as a believer in Jesus Christ and after searching the scriptures and after praying, he said, my three sisters and I are getting married. And we're moving to the Netherlands to open what is, would be a late-term abortion clinic. <laughs> that, that was his thing. My three sisters, we're going to open up an abortion clinic, and we're going to get married to each other. Okay? <laughs> Woo-woo. So, he added, Christians used to tell us we were wrong, but after listening to you, and this is a quote, and being led of the Spirit and not being taught by others, my sisters and I feel very strong in this course of action. Then there was a pause, and then he added, so we just want to thank you. And there was a pause. Now, I want to point some things out before moving along. Firstly, we, when we come to hypotheticals in the faith, we don't have to go to these extremes. I'm going to marry my three sisters and open up a late-term abortion clinic. I mean, we don't need to do that. Marrying sisters and all that stuff, rarely would you ever find a true follower of Christ believer in the Bible, seeker of truth, marrying his three sisters and opening a late-term abortion clinic. So let's get real with that. I'm not saying there's not aberrations, but generally speaking, we don't need to go to extremes just to argue the point. Why couldn't he have called and set the scene up by saying, uh, you know, I'm a believer who has been smoking pot. Uh, or I'm a believer who I've cheated on my taxes. Or I'm a believer who uh, doesn't attend church anymore because I don't like any of them. Uh, but he had to take it to this hyperbolic, extreme, sinful state to say, what do you say about my actions? Secondly, if he was really a believer in Christ and he's really a, a Bible reader and a seeker of the Spirit, what does it matter what other people say, including me, about his decision? And, and it, this is the touchy thing about it. This is my point. We are all responsible before God for our faith. We are responsible. It doesn't matter what my opinion is of something or what the pastor's opinion is, really. It does not matter in the end because it's what we choose to do that matters before God. We have decided, right? So, I mean, in every congregation, there are people who attend church regularly and then they go off and they participate and all sorts of things that are in opposition to the Bible. If you take 100 people in a congregation, during the week, some of them are doing something that is not in harmony with the Bible. So who has the, should it be policed? Who has the authority to police that group? And who has the proper interpretation of how they should be policed? What should someone be called out for? Because they did this thing or because they did that thing? So if we can't or aren't policing the body, why do we choose to police some things? For instance, if someone called a Christian radio show and said, I'm going to marry my three sisters and open up a late-term abortion clinic, the, the, the radio show host would in all probability say, that's not right. You need to repent and change, right? And, 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 and the, so in these hyperbolic ways, we'll make opinions but in day-to-day -day life, every week in a Christian church, there are people doing all sorts of things that are contrary to God who call themselves Christians, and we don't spend our time policing them. Why? Because we let God work with them. And we teach the Bible 
and we say, trust God, and we let the Bible work in their heart, and we let the Spirit work upon them, and when they're convicted, they'll change. And we trust that God, through His Spirit, is guiding His church, so we don't need to police it. We don't need to police people who believe they should be baptized by sprinkling. We don't need to police people who believe there's a Sabbath day. We don't need to police people who uh, uh, are homosexual. I know, homosexual, you don't need to police. No, God, if they believe in Christ, they read the Bible, they have the Spirit, God will work with them. We don't need to police them. So just take that out further. I don't need to police a guy who's going to marry his three sisters and go up and open a late-term abortion clinic. It's, it's all the same. Once you start policing, you don't stop. So Keith told us, he reads the Bible, he's a follower of Christ, he uh, searched for the Spirit, he prayed, and his sisters believe that they should all marry each other and do this. My response to Keith's setup was to say, he said, thank you, Sean, and I said, you're welcome. He said, thank you for giving us that liberty. And I said, you're welcome. You have the freedom to do what you want, Keith. And then, Keith, and then I asked Keith, are you a follower of Christ? And Keith said, yes. If someone professes to be a follower of Christ, what are you supposed to do? No, you're not. I mean, they're professing that. What can I say? You say you're follow. You're going to be responsible, Keith, for marrying your sisters and for opening up that abortion clinic. You're responsible as a follower of Christ. You say you are. I'm not. And I said, do you have a Bible? You read it, interpret the Bible in this way? And then he asked me a question, so I can marry my sisters and kill babies. That's, now we get to the final point of why he called. I can do anything I want as a Christian. Listen carefully. Keith can do anything he wants as a Christian because we all as Christians do anything we want. Do you get it? We do what we want. We can call ourselves Christians, or we may be Christians, but we do what we want. We may want to serve God in Christ. We may want to be married to one woman and not open up abortion clinics, or we may want to open up a clinic and marry our three sisters. But Christians do what they want, and guess what? Every Christian who claims Christ is responsible for what they do. And under that umbrella, we have the way the church is, could operate by the Spirit. doesn't always do that. So, stay with me. Just like there are Bible-reading followers of Christ that have affairs, that get drunk, that take the Lord's name in vain, that molest the dog, I'm sorry, whatever they do. Uh, just like there are Bible-believing people that gossip and tell lies that are unkind, and that are impatient. It works like this. We are all, if you're a Christian, saved by grace through faith. We are all commanded to love. And we are all responsible for what that looks like in our respective life before the king. Simple as that. And so we don't need to go through and try to police like Keith wanted or any of that. He said, you're crazy, you're crazy. And I asked Keith, what do you want me to say? And he, and he said, I want you to say what Paul said. That was his response. I want you to say what Paul said. So if we're going to use the word on each other like a knife, and then we're going to have a new law, Paul's words, to use on each other, then let's be literal, and let me ask the question, what did Paul say about late-term abortion? He didn't say anything about late-term abortion. Nothing. So what he wants is for me to interpret what Paul said about something different and apply it to late-term abortion. When you become a legalist and you use the word as your tool to get people with, you have to interpret what people say and apply it to a modern-day situation. It wasn't meant for that. It, was not, it wasn't even written to us in that sense. That's why Paul didn't even address it. There are principles in Scripture that any reasonable Christian reading Scripture knows that you don't want to go around having three, uh, sisters, three sisters as your wives or performing late-term abortion. There's a spirit and principles there. But if you start saying, I want you to say what Paul said, we're going to get into trouble, and that's why we're in trouble today. All right. So let's move on. We are in a ministry that began reaching out exclusively to the LDS, and we did that in a number of ways for seven years. And then we saw firsthand what the local evangelical churches were offering to those who were leaving the LDS church. 
and we decided to focus our attention on some of those things. What did we discover? At the actual church level, we discovered a body of churches that were in many ways in competition with each other. We discovered churches that differed with each other on views, and because of that, they attacked each other on those respective views. We discovered a body of churches that all claimed to believe, teach, and follow the Bible, and all taught different things about the Bible on essentials. Uh, Specifically, we also discovered churches, and this is specifically when we went around and looked, uh, churches that never mentioned the Bible in any of their services. They claim to read it, but they don't. Uh, churches that sort of referred to the Bible in their services, churches that paraphrased the Bible in their services, or read a series of disconnected verses to make their case about a pet project or another in their services. We found only one church, though I know there are others, that actually used the Bible throughout the whole time of their service, and that was, that was really outstanding. We found a number of churches holding rock concerts for Jesus prior to uh, the pastor getting up. One, the, the, the guitar player coming through a cloud with his arms of fog and a fog machine coming out with his arms spread and then strumming the guitar. Yeah, we're going to send the Mormons to that. Go to that and get the truth. <laughs> it's insane. Uh, we saw churches where the pastor spoke more about his life and his skiing trip and his this and that than anything else. There were churches that had elaborate video productions for soliciting support for this cause or that cause or this cause. Come on, before you leave the building, pick one of these causes and sign up because everything you give to that cause, we're going to skim some off the top because we set a table up and put a cardboard box on it. That was the whole game. One church had dozens of causes from around the world. I mean, hungry kids and, and, and polygamous children. and I mean, every cause in the, it was all lined up. And the pastor said several times during the service, make sure before you exit today that you choose, a, you choose one of these causes to support. Make sure you sign up and then you help fund this cause in addition to the offering and the tithes. Fund the cause so they can skim we discovered a unique community of churches that uh, promised prosperity teachings, enough faith, enough claiming, you could have whatever you want. Without uh, exception, every church we went to used the term tithe on its congregates, tithing or tithe. They will mock the LDS for being an Old Testament religion. They'll say they've put the temple back up. They'll mock the LDS for all kinds of Old Testament appellations. And every one of them used the word tithe. Where the New Testament, there is no standard for a tithe except Jesus criticizing what the Pharisees were doing to the widows who were putting their all in. Tithes is referred to, but not as a commandment. In fact, it's just give cheerfully. And if you can't give cheerfully, don't give at all. That's simple. It's very easy. Some asked for uh, money more than once in the service. Uh, one, we heard, it didn't happen when we were there, will ask five to seven times during the service for money. We found churches that, where the congregates were expected to pay for the pastor's vacation to some exotic land or destination and where their own congregates haven't even gone to these places. We found churches that demanded a political allegiance to certain political ideas. We found churches that week, uh, that week in and out uh, are constantly telling their congregates, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. Get, are you ready? Are you ready? You know, I've uh, been doing that for 2,000 years without reading the context of the Bible. He's coming back to keep you in fear mode, to make sure that you are on edge so that you can be ready and all you got to do is read the Bible contextually and you'll see that is not how it plays out. We found uh, churches that have a false, a false theology from a man. We criticize the Mormons for following Joseph Smith. These people follow a guy named John Calvin. John Calvin's ideas are more important than what the Word says. We found churches where the pastor or staff members uh, request membership from their congregates, sign to be a member, where people were involved uh, in, that were involved in, in the ministry of church had to sign morality contracts where they promised that they would not have a beer. I will sign this. I will never have a beer. Uh, it's, you know, uh, where mission statements had to be mandated and believed before you could take communion. 
were churches where there were ongoing drives, usually building drives, so that they could have a bigger and more fancy building in a prominent location. There were churches where hundreds and hundreds of people walked out and walked in without ever speaking to anybody, really. It was just, hey, I went to church that week. I've done my duty. That's exactly what God wants, right? He wants us to just make sure we visit and make sure that we put our time in. That's, that's the kind of thing he's looking for. And then we saw that all the churches charged for their coffee and their donuts. And some made sure that their fully stocked stores were open during the interim period so people could rush in. Hey, you know, from the pulpit, we're having a special on uh, end time books. Go check those out before you leave today. Uh, in one way or another, every one of those that we investigated imposed something on their congregants that was either not supported in a contextual analysis of Scripture or they were practices that stood so outside of what is acceptable on the principles of biblical, uh, that they, uh, biblical uh, understanding that they were fleecing the flock rather than feeding the flock. And so all of that, the other day a guy comes up to me here and he says, hey, people are telling me, because I've told them that I've been going to campus, that you've gone off the deep end. And uh, my point I have people who constantly will malign what we do and they will question and challenge and they'll, they, I mean, we've been castigated in the state of Utah, really. Uh, and they will absolutely attack us because I say I'm not sure about the Trinity. I'm not saying I don't believe in God. I'm not saying Jesus isn't our Savior. I say I just wonder about the Trinitarian concept because I wonder about eternal punishment. You know, I openly wonder and, and give passages to support it and they criticize but they will allow those churches to do that stuff and turn a blind eye. They will not criticize churches that are doing that stuff, but they will constantly go after someone just because they wonder about the context of some certain doctrines. I'll never understand modern evangelicalism, ever. I understand it less than I understand Mormonism. Mormonism is a machine. They got it down. Modern evangelicalism is cannibalism, man. They are at work killing each other if you don't agree with them. And uh, I will forever do all we can to help people, under, LDS and not, to understand that there are options in how we are going to see and believe things. But there are no options when it comes to the one way to the true and living God. And that is by faith through, in Jesus Christ, through his shed blood. There is no other way. But there are a lot of variables in everything uh, else, deep end or not. And with that, let's cover our fourth dimension Christian before we go to our phones. <sighs> Last week we left off and we showed the meaning and symbolism of this beautiful iRobot form, which uh, I had welded together. And I call it iRobot because it looks like that. But we have talked about using it as a teaching tool to understand some concepts. And this is, all, this is essentially what we said. We said that uh, human beings are given at the beginning a body, a soul, and a spirit. We're talking about that human beings can do negative things that have negative consequences with their body and with their soul. And they can do positive things with their uh, body and their soul in this life. But because Adam fell, we live in this realm of darkness. We call it the realm of happiness. And we talked all about that. And then we talked about how Jesus came because Adam sinned and brought us into spiritual death. This, there's no spiritual life in this realm that we live in. And Jesus opened the door to the spirit realm. And we said that when that door opened wide, it shined light down in here. And he says, come to me. And then when you do, you are born again by the Spirit, born from above. And then last week we covered Matthew chapter 5, uh, Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus gave us uh, eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight things that are in chronological order, I suggested, about blessed being those who mourn and those who are poor in spirit and those who are meek, blessed are those who hunger and seek after righteousness, etc., etc., and that we, we enter into this and we have, suffer a loss. Those are the mourning and poor in spirit. And then we, then we start to build on our character. And that we fall from that and we start to do this. 
And we talked all about that. And this is living in the realm of joy. This is the Christian realm, to live by the Spirit. We talked about how sometimes we'll make a trip back down into that area. And how, uh, you know, we'll go back down into our flesh. And we'll do things wrong. But this is the realm that we want to stay in. So that was what we talked all about during uh, last week. Final part tonight. We've been talking about the Christian walk. So I wanted to summarize this up, and then we'll uh, wrap it up. <coughs> I call operating here the fourth dimension Christian. How did it get to be the fourth dimension? Well, in our dimensions, we have zero dimension. That's the point. Not even, you can't even see it. It's just a dot. It has no form or no space. And then we come to our first dimension. And we're going to call our first dimension part of this down here. And that is what? That is length. And so on length, you can't do anything except go from point to point. There's nothing else you can do with it. But if we add the second dimension, which is width, then we're able to draw a flat figure upon that. So here in our body and soul, the fallen man, not spiritually regenerated, we have a flat two-dimensional figure, not inflated, not enhanced by the spirit, still spiritually dead because they are dead because of Adam's fall and they have not received Christ. The third dimension, if, if the first is length and the second is width, the third dimension is what? It's height, right? And height, I'm going to suggest, is when we are spiritually born again. That's a third dimension. And so what happens is this little fellow gets some dimension to him. And so we might call this a babe in Christ because now they have, they're, they're three-dimensional. Now they have some dimension. They're not just this flat surface. And this is what we call being born again. And when you are babe in Christ, you're operating in all things, your spirit and your soul and your body, and you're wanting your spirit to reign. And so we talk about the first part of that. When you start to grow the plus, the additional characteristics that Jesus covers here in Matthew, we start to get that fourth dimension. And the fourth dimension is what? Time. And so what happens is this little baby now living in the fourth dimension, giving an opportunity to um, grow and mature as a Christian, they are then entering into the realm of being a fourth dimension Christian where the babe now, time has allowed this to get tall and they are allowed to grow and they become a full mature uh, person in Christ Jesus. And so that's the goal of the Christian walk. We've covered all sorts of topics throughout the year, but we came ultimately to the Christian walk. The goal is to be in this place and to remain here, to get to this place. And last week, uh, Dave and others pointed out that right after Jesus teaches Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, or whatever it was, he then goes in, he talks about uh, three, he talks about then being a city set on a hill after giving us these dimensions to, to live in the fourth dimension. And then he talks about a candle placed on a candlestick so that everybody in the house can see the light. And he talked about being the salt of the earth. And Dave pointed out when you take all those elements where he continues to teach his disciples, now we become those who are shining a light down into this dark place. Now we've gotten to a place in our walk. We've matured over time. We are a city set on a hill. We're a candle set on a candlestick. We're the salt of the earth. And we are shining the light down into this dark place. And that's the goal of, of being a fourth dimension Christian. So we covered all of that. Um, we covered all of these concepts, and now we've introduced how we get to that spot. So let me just wrap this up by sharing you with some scriptures that support the idea of being a fourth dimension Christian. 
The construction of the man in the box, the, the man in the box, in my estimation, is a construction of spirit. It's a construction of learning to walk by the spirit, not the flesh. And that is learning to walk by faith and love. And last week we pointed out that in those, in those verses, we are to grow and we are to have that fourth dimension, time, that allows us to get better and better. So God is reaching out and he's calling to all to receive him. And Jesus is that doorway, as we drew in that illustration. And the light shines in the darkness, and people look to the light, and they say, I want that, and they receive him by faith. And they become babes in Christ, three-dimensional uh, Christians, like little babes in that box. Um, but those who have been raised in the third dimension and stop there, are just those who have been regenerated and they never grow in the faith. They don't give the faith time to mature. And they remain babes, having just received Christ after coming out of the world. And we know that if we have received Christ, that we are given the opportunity, in fact it says we are given the power to become something more. We're given the power to become sons and daughters of God. That's what the scripture says. So this model that I've kind of presented to you is touched upon by Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. That's the man in that box. That, that's the spiritual man growing here. That Christ will dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, what is the length, what is the depth, and what is the height. That's four dimensions that we've been talking about. It gives all of those for us. And he says, listen, uh, God, Christ can dwell in your hearts by faith. And you'll be able to comprehend what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And he says, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you might be fulfilled with all the fullness of God. So there are several keys to cover here in the words of Paul. Allow a really quick discussion. He has been talking about tribulations and the fact that God has eternal purposes, which he has purposed in Christ. And he says, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, would grant you, you and me, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with his might by his spirit in the inner man or woman, in that inner spiritual being. He prays that this will happen. We're talking about growth now, not just regeneration. He's talking to believers here in Ephesians. So I want to point out that he says the strength comes by his spirit, and it is seen in the inner man. And the figure in the box is not a physical representation, though I drew it. Physically, he could be, you know, the elephant man. But the physical is irrelevant when it comes to the spiritual growth of the individual. The physical is just what we have in this world. It's going to go away when we die. But it's all spiritual, and the spiritual maturation is always done in and through living by the Spirit, by the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, uh, temperance, long-suffering, all those things. That So don't, it's not ourselves. Don't get mixed up with here and start trying to perfect yourself. It's by the Spirit. To what end? Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, by faith. And you being rooted and grounded in love. Here, Paul reiterates the primary drive of every Christian. You want to you be a fourth dimension Christian? You want to have the Christian walk down? Walk in faith, walk in love. Walk in faith, walk in love. If, there's, if, if, if there was any message I could give to anybody, what does it mean to be a Christian? To walk in faith and to walk in love. That's it. Faith in what? Faith in God and Christ. Love who? God and fellow man. That's being a Christian. All the rest of the stuff we can debate and talk about forever. But to be a Christian, faith and love, which is made possible to us by the Spirit. All right? So translated into physical terms, 
we might call them salt and light. That's what Jesus is referring, us to becoming salt and light. Um, and there's always a connection, I'll wrap it up with this, between faith and love. Always. Love does not exist on its own in the Christian world. It's always tied to our faith first. We don't suddenly have the capacity to love without first having faith as the, as the prerequisite. Let me give you an example. God says, forgive. Do I trust God when he tells me to forgive? I don't. I don't have the faith. Therefore, I won't love. I don't have the faith to trust him when he says forgive. I'm not going to forgive, so I'm not going to love. God says forgive. I say, I have faith in that. So, I forgive. My love is tied to my faith. Faith and love are the two commandments, as John 1, 23 says. 1 John, 1 John 3, 22, 23 says. He, and these are the commandments. To believe on his son whom he has sent and to love one another as he gave commandment. It's faith and love. So anytime you are growing in love, you have already grown in faith. So God says, listen, I want you to forgive your neighbor seven times 70. Ooh, that's getting a little tough. Well, if you have the faith to believe in that, you will forgive seven times 70 and you will show the love. If you don't believe it, you won't. So there is that connection. How do we get our faith? Where does the faith come from? Does it just come out of the air? No. People will say, oh, God gives it to us. It comes from, from Scripture, hearing of the Word. If you don't hear the Word, you won't grow in faith. If you don't have faith, you cannot love the way God wants you to. That's simple as that. So, tying it all together. Why did I talk about what we found in those churches? Because when we were going after the Mormons, and then we went out and we visited the Christian churches, I saw a bunch of places that were not bringing the Word to the people so the people could grow in faith and then have the capacity to love. I found everything but that. So why would we ever do that? Give people over to something that's not going to give them the word whereby hearing of the word causes them to believe more, which causes them to love more, which is the great commandment. And so we have a direct tie to hearing the word, to congregates believing in God, to congregates loving God and others. And without that in place, we're screwed. So we have to have pastors teaching the word. And if they're not, call them out. I don't care what they're doing. They could be giving away bicycles every week to all the kids. Who gives a rat's rear end? If you're not teaching the word, you're not feeding the flock, the flock is not growing in faith, and the flock is not loving. And when Christians aren't loving, that's when you start to run into the real problems. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-590-8413, Do we have a spot? We have a spot tonight. It's a new one in our series from Cassidy. Take a look. highly recommend, of course, the Bible. And I said, any version that you'll read. Interestingly, it really depends on where you are in your life and what you're doing and how you're seeking and what you're seeking. There are some books that I would recommend that will help you with just learning how to think. One is called The True Believer. It's by Eric Hoffer. He's an atheist. It, he will teach you how to think. He's really acerbic and he's harsh. And he's not a believer, but his, the way he reads is really interesting about mass movements. How We Know It Isn't So by Thomas Gilovich, which will help you see that we believe there are truths until we really examine them and discover it's really our own prejudice. When it comes to, you know, Mormonism or Christianity, there's a whole bunch of books out there, uh, but a book that I do think is important, we'll give it to you free. This is not to push the book, Knife to a Gunfight, which we publish and it will help you understand how the Bible has been misinterpreted and misapplied in our day and age. Again, thanks to uh, Cass and Steve Utley for the music and for those spots. 
Uh, we have Wyatt Durango, Colorado on line one. Wyatt, you're on the air. Hey, how you doing, man? Good. How about you? Good. Hey, I just uh, watched a uh, program that you uh, recommended me uh, today. Yeah? Did it help you? Um, <laughs> you know I'm a hardcore Trinitarian. <laughs> <laughs> so well, what did it make you think, uh, Wyatt? Uh, it, it, did. it did make me uh, think a little bit. Good. Like I said, I... I'm a Trinitarian because there's an embarrassment of riches for Trinitarian proof text in the scriptures. Mm -hmm. I don't see that. Oh. Yeah. Well, maybe we ought to have Bible study in, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, um, but what really got me was when you said that uh, the deity of Christ was not brought out until John. Yeah, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke? Yeah, well, it, 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 it's not as uh, it's not nearly as on the nose as it is in John. Right. Well, I would I would have said um, I was uh, thinking Mark fourteen uh, when Jesus was at his trial, what he said. Tell us. Um, so Jesus, so um, the high priest uh, said, "Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed?" Jesus said, I am, he's quoting from Exodus 3 right there, and you shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds, he's quoting from Daniel 7 right there, and sitting on the right hand of the Father. Okay. Psalm 171. Okay. So, uh, when so he, he said... Establishes, I... Yeah, he establishes himself to be co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. Uh, you're reading into that when he when they ask him a question, what did you want him to say? Yes, he said I am. You're reading in because because it says a me there in the Greek that he says a me and that's what the Septuagint says in Exodus. You're saying it's the same thing. A me is used 1,200 times in the Bible. I am is a normal phrase that is used all through Scripture. You have decided to take that passage because it's used in Exodus. And have Jesus saying that I that he was I am. Now, understand, I do believe he was God with us. And I do believe that he was the word of God with us. My problem is the uh, the son, eternal sonship. That's where I have issue, uh, Wyatt, is eternal sonship. And Trinitarians admit that eternal sonship is not a divisor. That there are Trinitarians who do not agree with eternal sonship. And, and I just don't. I don't think there was a little baby Jesus, the, 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 the child of God the Father up in heaven, running around with Daddy, and then he became flesh. I believe that the Word was made flesh, the Word of God. And I don't know how you dispute that. We don't have any proof text in the Old Testament that makes uh, Jesus a pre-existent spirit. Well... I would, I would beg to differ. I would beg to differ on what, that. Well, I mean, give me one. Go to uh, the angel of the Lord passages, where it's actually cross-referenced with the Lord Himself. Angel of the Lord is your interpretation of that being Jesus. Angel of the Lord, you're just saying that was Jesus. That's a Christophany. But that, I don't believe that was necessarily what it was. That's just what we teach in order to support our views. But I don't want to make this about the uh, Trinita Trinity because I, I, I told you to check that out. What else were you calling about? Uh, I was just uh, calling to just... Uh, Razz me? Tell you, uh, <laughs> no, I'm not, no, I'm not calling the heck of you, but... I could some other time, but yeah, I'm just calling you to tell you uh, Merry Christmas, and I really enjoyed your uh, stuff. Hey, thanks, my brother. I have a question for you, though. You sound like you have a good heart, Wyatt. A question. If, okay. I, if I do believe I'm worshiping God in spirit and in truth, that what I taught on Sunday at Milk that you watched was uh, how I feel in my heart, and you are, as you said, a hardcore Trinitarian, uh, in, your, in your views, do I not know the true and living God? Am I destined for hell for eternity? Um, no, uh, you're saved by grace, by grace through faith in uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what, uh, that's what he said. So why do we make such a big deal about Trinity, non-Trinity stuff? 
because I believe it's actually essential uh, to the to the gospel. But if it's not essential to my salvation, you just said I'm saved by grace. Yeah. Then then what's the point? Can it can it be something that we can say? Look, oneness Pentecostals are really really devout people, and we don't need to separate with them. We don't agree with them, but we don't have to separate. That the LDS, while certainly we disagree that God has a body, and while we certainly, they do admit that Jesus came, lived, was born of a virgin, died on a cross for the sins of the world. Can we say, look, we don't agree with you on these other things, but can't we get along with, I mean, don't they have that right to believe how they want to believe and us to say, well, look. Yes. Well, yes, but the question is, are their beliefs right? And if an, the question is, for example, you deal with the LDS, is the LDS beliefs right? And the, when that question gets brought up, I compare what the LDS believes with what the Bible teaches. I do too. But see, you, so, but with the, with, like with the Trinity, you differ with me on that. And, and you say, well, you're going to be okay, Sean. You don't agree with me on the Trinity, but you're going to be okay. Well, where do we draw the line on when someone is... Look, at theology doesn't save us. Doctrine does not save us. It's faith in Christ that saves us. Right. Just right. like you just said. So why do we spend this time making sure that... I, 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 believe me, I know how bad Mormonism, the institution, is. I can't stand it. But, I mean, I know there's a lot of people in all faiths, Christian faiths that are seeking to know God and seeking to serve Him that don't have every I dotted and every T crossed. So why are we making it a big deal? Well, because, uh, because the, pro the Bible actually teaches us that the Bible is, uh, is sufficient for, for, for teaching. Yeah, it is. And we teach the best of our ability. But even you and I spend our time in the Bible, Wyatt, and we have differences, even on this one subject. And I bet we have differences on many, many more. So while it right. is individually can be used to help us instruct ourselves and teach and learn, why are we using it against each other? Why don't we let God figure out who is his and who is not and let him do that and let us shine the light, share the love, share Jesus. And if people differ with us, say, you know, I don't agree with you, but let's keep, let's keep focusing on Jesus and go forward. Do you get it? Yeah, yeah actually, yeah, I do. Um, well, think about it. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I think about Yeah, I think about it, man. Uh, yeah, but yeah. I would say the the sole foundation of the faith is the scriptures, and if we don't have that foundation, then we can't say that the Mormons aren't aren't, uh, aren't right. The foundation the foundation of the faith is not the scriptures, uh, because we didn't have the scriptures. Uh, in place until 1,500 years after Christ came. We have the Old Testament, but the scriptures as a whole, we did not have the, the uh, New Testament available in any really reliable form until the 1500s, 1530 or so. So what did all those believers, what was their foundation of faith? And then when we got the New Testament in written form, we've done nothing but fight over it and divide over it. Nothing but fight and divide over it. And that's because Paul says, and God said, I will write my law upon your hearts in that last day, not with pen and ink, not with pen and ink. And we will know him through our heart by the spirit, which is love, Wyatt. So you're saying it's the foundation of our faith. I would say that it is a great blessing to those who believe. It is a map, spiritual map for people to read and the spirit guide us. But foundation of our faith it, when you say that, all I can see is a table full of men and women arguing over each point of what is right and what is wrong, and they've done that for, for uh, 500 years. I, I, get, I get what you're saying, but if it's all subjected by the Spirit, by spirit the Mormons even say that I get this good feeling in my heart that the Book of Mormon is true. Yeah, I, I, I can't tell you how the, the Spirit is working upon people. Uh, I know we've tried. I've tried too, but I, I can't tell you. All I know is that the fruit of the Spirit is love. Right. It's joy. It's peace. It's peace. That's the fruit of the Spirit. So if we have not something that, that's not yeah. bringing that peace and the joy, and we have some, that is not the Spirit. Do you get it? 
Right. And I would, the only way we could say that, yeah, I get it. And the, I get what you're saying here, but uh, the Bible also says test the spirit. So how I know that the Mormon spirit is wrong when it says that the Book of Mormon is right, when it tells the, when it tells the uh, LDS person that the Book of Mormon is true, is I test it against my foundation, which is the Bible, which yeah. says, no, wait a minute, the Book of Mormon contradicts this, 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 and this. Yeah. So the Book of Mormon cannot be true. Well, unfortunately, uh, the, 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 the Book of Mormon is really not the issue. It, it has very few places where it contradicts with the Bible, but that's another discussion, my brother. I really appreciate your call. Let's talk again. You have a great New Year, uh, Wyatt. All right. God bless, man. God bless you. Bye-bye. Uh, this is from John. Just want to say thanks for all the work that you put in. Each time I watch one of the shows, I get encouraged. Your passion and love for God is so strong. It's amazing. Um, just recently I started studying with someone I met and found out he was raised in the LDS church. Uh, I bought him a Bible and we're going to be studying more in the new year. I'll be praying that God gives insight to help my brother. And Wyatt makes a great point. This is the problem when we have discussions like this. Is I'm taking a pr perspective that I, you don't take it as concrete and didactic. Take it as this is an option we have to consider when we are thinking about these things. Because listen, the Word of God is everything. Uh, I mean, I love the Word. It is how God reveals Himself. It is how our faith grows. It is what I study day in and day out because of my love for it. But I don't think we can use it, like the title says, as a knife uh, to a gunfight, and the gun being the Spirit. We can't let it come in and we start becoming scribes and legalists against each other using that book that is supposed to be a blessing to us, not this huge divider, etc. Uh, this is from Charles Meek. I became introduced uh, by a Facebook friend. Uh, it's good to see more and more preachers are starting to see the preterist view. Uh, and he says that he is, has a website that he's trying to promote, and we'll talk about that website later. Finally, Stephanie says, being born again, it says in John 3, 5, that uh, a man must be born again. And she says the term born again is used by New Agers as well. Also, it is important we are born again according to this verse. And she said, have you been born of water and of spirit? I'm hoping to share uh, with you this verse further. You also mentioned in Romans 10 as your basis for salvation, but the letter of Romans written to those who are already saved. So what her point is, again, have you been saved by water and the Spirit? Jesus says that. Uh, you must be born again. And, 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 by, and people say that means by water and by the Spirit, because that's in John chapter 3. Nicodemus says to Jesus, how can I be born again? After Jesus says you must be born again, how can I be born again? And, and Jesus says, that which is flesh is flesh, and that which is Spirit is is spirit. Marvel not that you must be born again. So, bat, born of water, that which of flesh is flesh. That's what he's talking about. Our first birth, you're born of water. I don't believe that is talking about water baptism. But even if it was, it was to a Jew who they believed in that water uh, ablution to get ready for repentance. It was a completely different subject. But born again, John the Baptist said, look it, I baptize with water. And I'm, 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 I'm acting this out as if I'm John the Baptist. Look, I baptize with water. Got it. We do that. You can show as a Jew. Yeah, I baptize with water. But there's a guy coming who baptizes with the Spirit and with fire. And I'm not even worthy to tie that guy's shoe. That's what we're looking for. That is the rebirth we're looking for. That not the water baptism. That is not part of the rebirth. The, the rebirth is being born from above. So when Jesus said, uh, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born from above. And Nicodemus says, how do I be born again? Do I go back into my mother's womb? Jesus says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That's the water part. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And that's how you need to understand that in my estimation. Off air question, Sean. Wouldn't the reason we fight over non-essential be due to the sin of pride? And I think so. I, that's a great way to wrap up the year. Uh, we become so proud 
in our positions. And it takes a great deal of humility to have a position you ardently believe in, but then allow others the right, uh, the leeway, to have their own opinions that differ with yours, but consider them a brother or sister in, in the faith. When you're able to do that, you start to move up that, that fourth dimension side. You start to uh, be peacemakers, remember? And you're more merciful in those things that Jesus taught that we talked about last week. That's the area that we want to be in. We appreciate you guys all year long for being uh, with us. Thanks uh, for all that you do. And it was great to see our guests here uh, tonight. May God bless you. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm on a ride, going nowhere. I am an existential cowboy on the wind. And I won't be coming out, I'm going in. This man's awake. A storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the light filled monkeys start to.